Good morning, friends. Thank you, Pastor Prem. I do consider um, Pastor Abraham, Alfred, and Pastor Prem dear friends. We have, over the last few years, uh, and their families, we thank God, brought us closer. Um, for just a couple of you who may not know my name, I'm Pastor Jacob Cherian. I have been teaching in Southern Asia Bible College, which is a school on that northern part of Bangalore. And my life has been basically teaching in a Bible college. So um, I am a forever a student. I have not uh, graduated yet. I'm still there. And, uh, and that's a privilege God gives all of us. Actually, the word disciple means a student. That's the meaning of the word disciple. Mathetes. Uh, where you get the English word math from. But actually for us, for some people at least, math is a frightening thing. We used to have nightmares about math. Uh, I, for me, I was a math student. I loved maths. But the word math actually in Greek means uh, learning, not necessarily dealing with numbers. And so we are all called to be learners every day, every moment. And we never know how the Lord will teach us uh, every day. This morning, I want to share from a story, in a sense, available to us in the New Testament. And, um, but before that, I want to say this, stories. I don't know about you, but I love stories. When people tell their own story, uh, and wish we had time sometime to listen to the stories. Each of us has a story. And if somebody has time to listen to a story, we are ready to tell them, right? But most people don't have time. So when they ask you, how are you? You want to tell them, but they don't have the time. So what do you say? Fine, thank you. But actually we want to talk. You want to know? Can you, do you have time? Sit down, I will tell you how I am. But stories are beautiful. And that's why from childhood we loved stories. Remember, we used to listen to stories. Sometimes our grandparents may have told us, or father, mother told us, or others tell us. Or we are pulled into a story when you are watching a drama or a, or a movie or something. Stories are powerful. And one of the stories that we have grown up in children, I'm sure almost all of us, if not all, uh, we read these fairy stories, right? We didn't say, oh, it's a fairy story, I don't want to listen. We loved stories. And a couple of those stories were, do you remember the story of Beauty and the Beast? And thanks to Disney, you know, a movie has been made. What happens with Beauty and the Beast? That beast nobody likes and his behavior seems to be bad. But the moment beauty can say to him, I love you, or he's kissed by beauty, what happens to him? Ah, he changes into a handsome, beautiful prince. Then you have the sleeping beauty story, remember that? Sleeping beauty. And again, the story is when love comes in, changes everything. Death goes into life. Stories like that, I believe, are kind of an indication to the greatest story of all, and that is God's story. God's story is what God is doing in the universe, and He is pulling each one of us with our individual stories that are unique. Each one of us has a unique story. Even two brothers in the same house have a different story. But we are pulled into this amazing great story of God, which is not yet complete. 
Uh, I, I like a story with a happy ending, right? Don't we? But not all stories on earth seem to have a happy ending. On the way to church, I had to stop and speak to a dear friend of mine um, who we were praying for his niece, two-year-old niece. And uh, yesterday, she passed away. And so I was calling him to check on when the funeral was and um, talking to him. And that's not a story that you wanted ending that way. A beautiful two-year-old daughter who dies like that. We want a good ending to stories. Let me assure you on the basis of what we see in scripture that God will end his story well. The story is not yet over. God has not yet done all he can do. God will do it. And that's the Christian life. Is not that whatever we want, we get it now. It is God will give it to us. God will bring all things ultimately well. There will at the end be justice, be righteousness, be wisdom, all this good. Then we can truly look back and say God is good all the time. Right now the world does not look like that. Right now some of our own stories don't look like that. But the good news is that God will bring all things well at the end. And so the story of God and in the story of God he is pulling us into that story and God is doing something in our lives. So this morning I want us to look at a postcard in the New Testament. It is a story of a man who I want to say is kissed by the gospel. Kissed by the gospel. And uh, his name itself is connected to the word kiss. Now for that not in English. His name is connected to the word kiss in Greek. And the word kiss. Do you remember those passages where it says greet each other with a holy kiss? Remember that? And the word for kiss in Greek is philema. Philema. So now you can tell me the name of the person that's right, you got it. So turn to the uh, letters of Paul and the right at the very end is that last letter. It's kind of a long postcard. A letter of Paul to Philemon. Maybe the only really personal letter. Even though there are a couple of uh, names like Timothy and Titus mentioned, some of those letters are not just to those people. There is also something to the church. But this is a really personal letter to one man. Of course, there are many others involved in this letter. You found it there at the very end of the letters of Paul. Um, I have said this earlier, but I don't mind saying it in case there are some who have not heard this. There are how many letters of Paul? How many letters of Paul? 13 letters of Paul. And they are arranged according to a very simple scheme. How are they arranged? Based on size. It's a very, very simple reason. So the first nine letters are to churches. Romans. And you see the size? It's all according to size. Not according to importance or chronology. And then you have the last four letters. First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus and Philemon. Are based on, again, size. But they are named to, for individuals. And so at the end you have this last letter. Philemon. Philemon. And so what we are going to do is. 
you may not have read this letter recently so we're going to read the whole letter okay we have the time for that um, and uh, let's read it together so i'm waiting for all of you to find it in your bibles and whichever version you have we will read it together ready okay paul a prisoner of christ jesus and timothy our brother to philemon our dear friend and fellow worker also to aphia our sister and archippus our fellow soldier and to the church that meets in your home grace and peace to you from god our father and the lord jesus christ i always thank my god as i remember you in my prayers because i hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the lord jesus i pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of christ your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you brother have refreshed the hearts of the lord's people verse 8 Therefore although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love it is as none other than Paul an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus who became my son while I was in chains formerly he was useless to you but now he has become useful both to you and to me i am sending him who is my very heart back to you i would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while i am in chains for the gospel but i did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever no longer as a slave but better than a slave as a dear brother he is very dear to me but even dearer to you both as a fellow man and as a brother in the lord so if you consider me a partner welcome him as you would welcome me if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything charge it to me i paul am writing this with my own hand i will pay it back not to mention that you owe me your very self i do wish brother that i may have some benefit from you in the lord refresh my heart in christ confident of your obedience i write to you knowing that you will do even more than i ask and one thing more prepare a guest room for me because i hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers epaphras my fellow prisoner in christ jesus sends you greetings and so do mark aristarchus demas and luke my fellow workers the grace of the lord jesus christ be with your spirit philemon a man kissed by the gospel i think i have shared some time here my favorite parable in the parables of jesus is in luke 
that parable of a father who has two sons which we unfortunately for long time traditionally have been calling the parable of the kettakumaran the parable of the prodigal son it is not the story of a prodigal son it is a story of an unusual amazing father that's who the story is about it's about god who is like that father not about two sons yes the two sons are there so that story in that story remember the father is waiting the moment he sees his son far away he doesn't say let him come let him come and and say sorry and repent all that no the father runs to him before he has a ch- chance the father it says falls on his neck and kisses him that's the picture that's the point of the story not about the son repenting that's the god we have revealed in jesus christ if you want to know what god looks like read the gospels and look at jesus god is like that and everything else in the bible you need to read backwards through jesus if everything else in the bible doesn't fit what you see in jesus then you have to relook at what the bible says because god is like jesus and so we see what happens when the father kisses us we are kissed by the gospels this man interestingly has a name which means kissed one or an affectionate one or a loving person and i want to bring to you philemon as an example to follow and learn from a man who can be a model for us who have been embraced by the gospel or kissed by god we who have experienced that love of god we can learn from this man philemon there are three main characters in this little letter who are the three main characters paul philemon and one guy called onesimus he's a slave of philemon now the reality of slavery in the first century like you go to buy something in the market people would go to the market and buy a cow and in the same time they could buy a slave that was the reality of the first century so philemon apparently is a well to do person he is not very poor at least he has one slave maybe more we read about uh, aphia in verse 2 could be his wife and then about archippus could be his son but we are not sure we don't have a better life on that but did you notice in verse 2 it says the church meets in their home today most of the time when we use the word church we refer to this building we say we are doing renovation of the church by the way i am happy to come to this room after you have redone it and it looks nice beautiful but you know what the church looks nice as you this is the building we may be here now you know 10 years from now we don't know where we will be but the, this is the church the church is never a building but all the time we will talk in that language uh, where shall we meet we'll meet in church isn't that what we say but did you notice the church meets in their house the church is never in the new testament a building but we are stuck with that in our way of thinking the church is in which city now 
while you read this you don't know which city this is happening in but when you read this along with another letter that is paul's letter to colossians you will find some common names in both these letters and that's when you realize this philemon also lives in colossae so there are, there is one and by the way in most cities when you say church doesn't mean there is only one gathering there could be many house churches and so at least one church meets in philemon's house those days mostly people who had a little bigger house would host the church and so philemon probably has a larger house and so there is a church in his house and um, Paul seems to know him very well the kind of freedom that he uses to say by the way keep a guest room ready i'm coming to stay with you hopefully i'm in prison now but i believe because of your prayers i will be released soon and when i come just keep your guest room ready for me now you don't say that to all your friends you know i'm coming to stay in your house ah you don't have that kind of freedom uh, no especially with your facebook friends you know your facebook friends the other day somebody was messaging me and i'm trying to figure out who is this so i said excuse me brother do i know you yes i am your facebook friend i said okay fine all right <laughs> all right <laughs> but uh, but he is a good friend with this man this man he not only says keep your guest room ready he says by the way all that you owe is mine in one place he is going to say in verse 18 if this boy onesimus who ran away by the way slave but he ran away you know if you are a slave you are not supposed to run away because we paid money to keep you here you go and buy a cow and bring to your house can the cow run away no he cannot we paid money for you so he ran away and we don't know for sure but paul says if he has done you any wrong so don't assume that he has stolen money and run away not necessary however what paul says i know it's a loss you paid money to buy him but now if you if he has been a loss to you let me say i will charge it to my account as if paul has a running account in philemon's house and they charge it to me paul has a lot of money right he has a middle east express card that he can charge all his money to no but he says i am just reminding you everything actually your bank account is my account that kind of relationship where you tell a christian brother who is not even your blood brother that your bank account is my bank account you can't sometimes say that to your own brother born of the same father mother but do you realize what happens when the gospel really takes a hold of us we don't start thinking any more like i and mine just to remind you he says verse 19 not to mention you owe me your very self everything yours is mine not that paul wants anything from him that is the relationship that begins to change when we enter into the gospel remember when peter asked jesus lord we left everything to follow you what will we get what did jesus say no one who has left house and brother and sister and homes and fields in this world they will get 100 times in this world and in the life to come eternal life or everlasting life so if i lose uh, one brother i will get what kind of 100 brothers if i lose one house 
I will have houses? No. Homes. The homes of my brothers and sisters in the faith become like my homes. It's not about making a lot of money and getting more houses. And so that is what happens when we enter, we are embraced by the gospel. Now this guy Onesimus, a little bit about him. Who is he? By the way, the meaning of the name Onesimus is useful. Useful. Normally these are the kind of names slaves get. Now you don't have a son and give, give him the name useful. Normally not. So, he, you know, he, his name is useful. Why a slave? His only job is to be useful. That's all. That's why you buy him. You buy a cow because not to love the cow, but to have the cow be useful to you. And Onesimus is mentioned only twice in, in Philemon, only once in verse 10. But he's also mentioned Colossians 4.9. I already told you, these are twin letters. So the same person, Tychicus, is going to come to Colossae and he is going to give one letter to the church, which you have Colossians, and the other letter he will give to Philemon personally. But along with that letter, Onesimus is also coming and going to be standing there. And he is going to, Tychicus will give the letter to Philemon. Onesimus was a slave who ran away. Why did he run away? Well, it doesn't say so. Sometimes we may think, oh, he ran away because Philemon was very bad to him. Not necessarily. From what we learn in this about Philemon, I don't think he ran away because Philemon was bad to him. But I think if you are a young man and you are a slave, you did not choose that. Which young man wants to be born a slave? Unless you have such an experience with your master. Your master is an amazing person. You say, I am so glad I am a slave of this master. But I, any young man wants to have a better life. They dream of a better life. Maybe if I run away from this house and reach some place, maybe Rome, you know, I will somehow find life will be better than what I am going through now as a slave. And so he runs away. We don't know why. Many times in our country and many others, there are young people who run away from home because of various reasons. Some of them are ill-treated at home. Some of them, they run away very young. Somehow, they see in movies or this and that, they think maybe if they run away on a train to Bombay, they can survive. And many of these young children are exploited. We know that reality. We don't know why he ran away. Probably to Rome. Now, it doesn't mention here, it is probably this is happening in, a, in somewhere in Rome. And Paul is in prison. Remember, prison is not like your organized prisons of today. Prison would have been a place where they would have some freedom for some people to come into and serve you. So, looks like what has happened is Onesimus ran away, maybe to Rome, and then discovered, hmm, I thought running away will be better, but looks like things were better at home. And so, I don't know in which context, he knows that Paul is his master's friend. Not just a friend, a dear, dear friend. And so he starts thinking of, maybe I should go back. And somehow we don't know how that story is something we would like to have some dots filled in. He finds Paul. And after he finds Paul, not only that, he becomes spiritually a follower of Jesus. And he becomes a son of Paul. 
And then he says, my son, look at verse 10, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. He was a slave of Philemon, but now in that interaction in prison, he has become a son. Now, what has he grown up as? A slave. And what do slaves do? They work. And so, while Paul is in prison, he is working now. He willingly works for Paul. Maybe washes his clothes and cooks food for him and things like that. As I told you, this is a different kind of system in prison. The prison system doesn't give you food and clothing. So, here he becomes a servant or he serves Paul. That's why Paul says, I'm very happy to receive his help. But, after all, he's your slave. I cannot keep him here. You know, your neighbor's cow happens to walk into your compound. Do you say, God has provided milk for my family? <laughs> you can't. You have to send, maybe one day or something you can keep. You can't keep for one week and then say, Oh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out whose cow this is. After one week, I'll send it back. Enjoy the milk for one week. You can't do that. Remember, he is a slave. Somebody else's slave. You cannot enjoy the privilege of somebody else's slave. So, courtesy, not only that, law demands that you send the slave back. But only difference here is, he is my friend's slave. I know if he knows, by the way, there is no way to contact and, and communicate. So, if he knows that he is serving me, he won't mind, I am sure. Because he says, I know you would like to serve me, but now he is here. But I cannot keep him without your permission. I'll send him back. If you want, you can send him back. You see in this letter, this is in your Bible. Sometimes we think, you know, the Bible is full of all very spiritual things. Every verse you pull out and it has to connect with us spiritually. No. The Bible is stories. In fact, the majority of the Bible is stories. And some of those stories are stories. Meaning, they need not have happened necessarily. You learn truth from them. They are true stories. And so here is a true story in, the, in a sense what happened. And we learn from this. We are learning what happens when we enter into the world of the gospel. What happens when we enter into God's new creation. God is creating new. Remember in 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, If anyone is in Christ, yeah, most of our translations gave it as, He is a new creation. But if you have a new translation like an IV, you will find it says, 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ you know what your Bible says? If you have an, an IV new one, what does it say? No? That's an old NIV then. The new creation has come. Actually in the Greek it's just how it is. That's a better translation. If anyone is in Christ, kinekitesis, that's all it says, new creation. It's not that he is a new creation, but the moment you enter into Christ, you enter into the world of new creation, God's new creation. It's not that that one person who has now believed in Jesus, he is changing and that's what matters. Yes, he is changing. I jokingly say, you know, before he met Christ, he used to beat his wife every day. Now that he's come into Christ, he beats her once a week. I'm just joking. That's not what we're talking about, small changes happening in my life. But what it says is, when we enter into Christ, 
we enter the world of god's new creation is already started god's new creation which will come in its fullness one day we already enter into that world of new creation and so runaway slaves had no you know they can't run away and say i have human rights and things like that no way runaway slaves are brought back could be beaten even killed if the master wants and so what can you do you just cannot come away come back and say i've come back okay fine come back no you can't do that even in our companies where you work you can't just walk away and then come back anytime you feel like but there was a way one of the ways that somebody could come back to their master was come through somebody else an amicus domini amicus domini means friend of the master so probably that is what he wanted to do i think i'll go back but i just cannot walk back and say i've come back i will see and i hear that paul is here and i know paul used to come he is a nice man i'll go through paul and go back to my master that's how he finds him there so there are a lot of things we are not 100% sure about there are only few things we know that he meets paul in prison and he becomes a believer and paul considers him as his son now think about that what does gospel do it changes the way you look at people of different strata in life paul is not a slave here is a slave but he calls him my son because when we truly enter into the new creation of god through the gospel when the gospel takes a hold of us we begin to look at other people differently even somebody who in our own context and culture we look down about especially in our indian context where people are measured by caste we can kill for caste in this country and even people who have reached high positions whether in in political parties or government or business still carry that feeling of who is higher and who is lower but that's not going to be in the new heaven and new earth that god is going to bring one day that is not going to be so we better learn to change right now and prepare as we enter into the world of the gospel paul is talking about some new relationships he's my son yeah he's a slave but he's my son more than that there are some things that uh, come through very beautifully in this letter especially if you're reading in the in the in the way in the language that paul wrote greek language now in your translations there is something that paul talks about philemon why is he so happy with philemon verse 4 he says whenever i think of you i am happy the fact is friends if you read the letters of paul paul is not a happy man all the time you know we have this tradition of wishing each other wish you a happy new year now the fact is for some of us the new year did not begin in a happy way for me it did not in fact there is no guarantee if i wish you happy new year 365 days you'll be happy all the time the fact is you will not be no human being can be happy all the time because there are unhappy things you have to go attend funerals sad things you have to you have to face real life situations which are unhappy so there are a lot if you read the letters of paul you find paul goes through a lot of pain in many many ways but in the middle of all that 
Whenever he thinks of Philemon, he starts feeling good. He feels good when he thinks of Philemon. What is it that makes him feel so good about Philemon? Oh, that he is, go, you know, when I go to his house, he'll take, treat me well in his guest room? No, that's not the reason. There's something about Philemon. Paul considers him a partner with him. A partner. In other words, he knows that he can trust Philemon to be his support. Look at verse 6. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective. You know, people sometimes when they support financially, they can do that with strings attached. But not so with Philemon and Paul. For the great mission of Paul, not only for Paul's personal needs, but because he's always with people. Paul is not a one-man army. Apostle Paul, one-man army, like, like we have the boss in South India, Tamil movies. right? The moment he comes, single-handedly takes care of everybody. All the fellows all fall down. <laughs> He's the boss. <laughs> there are no real people like that in reality, only in real life, not real life. Real life things are there. Did you notice at the end of this letter? First of all, who's writing this letter? That's a good answer. Now look in your Bible and give me the correct answer. Verse 1. Who's writing this letter? Verse 1. Paul and Timothy. There are some of the letters are written by three people. But we keep saying Paul's letter, but I know. But it's not Paul only. Paul is never alone. Look at the end of the letter. How many people does he mention? Who's his fellow prisoner? Epaphras is with him in prison. He's not alone. Then, others are also there close to him. Who are they? Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke. So, five people and Timothy, six people. Paul is always with people. And so, not just his ministry has to be supported, but their ministry. Paul is always a team player. Always. He's a leader of the team, yes. But he always has a team with him. And the needs of the team are there. There are people like Philemon who are committed to support the mission. We don't know what kind of job Philemon does. He is a wealthy man, somewhat. Because his house is big enough for the church. He has at least one slave, maybe more. So something he's doing, maybe some business or whatever. But he does whatever he does with the mission of the gospel in mind. And so he is fully a partner with Paul. Then there is something else that he does. Verse 7. He is a loving man. <laughs> what is the meaning of his name? Philemon. The one who has been kissed. The one who is affectionate. Or if you want to call him the kisser. Or the affectionate. Or the lover. That's his name. Now as you said this morning. You have to be very careful when you give names to people. I have a friend of mine. His name is Everest. His parents gave him the name Everest. Must be with great hope. But he's only this much. <laughs> so be careful what names you give. <laughs> now if you are six foot and your wife is tall and the chances of you giving that name your son may be tall. But, um, <laughs> but you can't be sure about that always. His name itself means person who loves. But look at verse 7. Your love has given me great 
joy and encouragement. So what is it that makes Paul excited when he thinks about it? Just thinking about him, he feels good. And I feel like that's what we need to have. That all of us are going to go through time and the way God makes character in our life is only through suffering. Only. It's only in suffering that character is made. That's what Romans 5 teaches. Take time, read that later on. And what he says is, when I think of him, I'm in prison but I feel good. Why? Because. See the because there? You, brother, what do you do? What does your translation say? Refresh the hearts of the Lord's people. Now, if you have an old King James Bible, anybody by any chance? Old King James? You know the word there? You refresh the... Anyone? The New King James, what does it say? No, no, last part. You refresh the... No, no. The hearts... hearts Hearts, hearts. So, hearts, right? Um, there, in Greek, there is a word for hearts. Very simple. All of us know that word, cardia. Right? That's where we go to see the cardiologist. Correct? So, we all know that Greek word, cardia. Cardia means heart. But the word that Paul uses here is not cardia. So, it is not hearts. The reason King, New King James has given hearts is because the Old King James is more literal. You know the word there? It is bowels. Yeah, you found it in your, on your device. Bowels of God's people. You refresh the bowels. Now, generally in today's English, we don't normally talk about bowels. Except when we go to the doctor and you are not well, the doctor will ask you, how is the bowel movement? Bowels means intestines. Or if you want to use the word, guts. Bowels. That is the word Paul uses. It's a different word. It's the word splankna. Splankna means bowels. So what is Paul saying? You refresh the bowels of God's people. Now how do you do that? Give them good food that refreshes their bowels? What do you do? This is a very ancient idiom of talking about deep blessing. Now even in English when we say from my heart today, we have emoticons, you know, heart everywhere. We send big heart, small heart, and sometimes the heart is pumping that you get on your message. Okay? But still, we, in spite of that, we are not satisfied. So we say, from the bottom of my heart. Why, not? Why don't you say heart alone? Heart is not good enough. So then we have to go from the bottom of the heart. Now, in the Greek, that's not deep enough. Because the bottom of our heart is only here. You have to go deeper to the guts, to the bowels. So no wonder the Greek idiom is bowels. Your deepest feelings is not here, it's here. Don't we say, I have butterflies in my... Uh -huh. Don't we say, I have a gut feeling? Mm, gut feeling, not heart feeling. So... The Greek way of speaking about something really deep is splankna. And that is the word that is used here, verse 7. You, Philemon, you are an amazing man. You know what you do? You refresh the bowels of God's people. 
Literally, that's what it means. Now, the King James very often literally, sometimes literally works very well. Some translations, remember, all your translations are good translations, whichever one. The only, don't fight about translations, just follow them. <laughs> because every translation says, love your enemies. Go, just follow that. Don't fight about translations. There is no perfect translation because translating from one language to the other is always a tricky business. You know, this John Maxwell is this leadership guy. Some of you may have heard of him. So he wrote a book that was translated into Tamil. Okay? So in the book, somebody in America, obviously, goes and has a hot dog. And the translator knew hot and he knew dog and he translated into Tamil and without an editor it was nicely printed. Shudana Nai Kari. The poor man, he thought this American went somewhere and had dog curry. I mean, he must have said, well, what kind of Americans are these? You know, and a hot dog, you know, has nothing to do with dog. So, just literal translation is not always the best translation. That's one of the limitations, there are many, of the King James Version. Now, the fact is, what kind of man is this man? He doesn't just, though your word heart is there in NIV and other translations, he is a man, the way he interacts with others, they feel refreshed in their inner being. In other words, people in great deep sorrow, need, the way he interacts with them, they leave with their heart or their guts refreshed. That's the kind of man this man is. Now, keep that in mind, that's in verse 7. What is his job? He refreshes the bowels of God's people, the guts of God's people. Look at verse 12. What does Paul say? I am sending him, whom? Whom? Onesimus, the slave, runaway slave, who is my very... Ah, again you see the word heart there? It's not cardia. He is my very splankna. Now, you said, you thought, you know, he said something. Paul said, he is my son. But now what is he saying? He is my very guts. Can you think of anyone like that? That you say, you know, I, this person is like my own guts. That kind of love, affection. And so he says, Onesimus, sorry, Philemon, you are great at refreshing the guts of God's people and I am now sending you my very guts. So, Tychicus will be coming and giving that letter but there behind him will be standing Onesimus with his head down because he doesn't know how the master will rece receive him. But then when Philemon reads this, Paul is saying he is my guts standing there. So what are you going to do? Beat him? How can he do that? That's Paul's guts standing there. And then in verse 20, 20, I do wish brother that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my, again is the word splankna in Christ. Well, that's, you can see Paul using tact here but he's also openly emotional language Paul uses. This is not just some high theology, oh big words. He's talking from the language of the heart. 
and not just this heart, this heart, the one deep, bottom of the heart, you know, deeper than the heart. Philemon is a man who loves because he has understood that the gospel is the gospel of God's love coming in and embracing us. That is what changes people. Not the fear, if I don't follow all this, God will throw me into some place called hell where I will burn forever and ever. That is not the reason we follow Jesus. The reason we follow is because the Father has fallen on our neck. Undeserving rascals like us. And he has embraced us. And he has welcomed us. This is what happens when we are kissed by the gospel. The gospel changes everything. Quickly, three things I want to say. When the gospel changes us. Number one, our attitude to God and ourselves changes. Secondly, our attitude to others changes. Thirdly, our agenda in life changes. When we have truly been kissed by the gospel, when truly the Father has fallen on our neck, undeserving people like us and given us grace, three things will happen. Number one, our attitude to God and self will change. God is like that loving father. God is not this judge sitting on that, on that big thing and saying, I'm checking on you, don't worry, I've got cameras all over watching you. Everything, I've kept a record, you think you can get away, wait, wait, wait. That's not the God we have in Jesus Christ. The God we have seen in Jesus Christ is that God that we see in that story who is waiting to embrace us into his love. And when that happens, we also begin to look at ourselves differently. Am I that valuable? Sometimes we struggle to think we are not valuable. Our world tells us you are valuable only if you have this or you do this or you can do this. There are many, many stories of people who the world looked down upon but they had, they had a different view about themselves. Marvin McMichael, an African-American man, young boy, he was in high school and the guidance counselor told him, um, you know, he was an African-American boy, a black boy. So the guidance counselor looked at him and said, um, I don't think you have a mind for college, so don't go to college. You can do something like a carpenter, some other job. No, a job of a carpenter is fine, but still, uh, you, don't, you, you don't need to worry about being in college. But somehow, this mother of his was a woman, a gospel woman. And she believed and encouraged and all that made all the difference. This man received many years ago a doctor of ministry from... Princeton Seminary, my alma mater. And when he was receiving also several other honors, distinguished alumnus and all that, the mother just whispered in his ear, where is your guidance counselor? Because not only he became a great pastor, wrote books, became the president of Colgate Rochester Crozer Divinity School, 
a man who has made a difference in the lives of so many people what made the difference was he didn't let the world tell him who he was he let the gospel tell him who we are the gospel tells us that we are so precious not just we the whole world to god are so precious that god is willing to become human and then die to save us and redeem us the gospel changes the way we relate to god and changes the way we see ourselves secondly the gospel changes our relationship with others remember what paul says i'm going to send him back to you now he is your brother how do you treat your slave who has now become your brother that changes that changes so i would still wish there was a camera recording how philemon when he read that letter maybe he sat down and he kept reading and he kept looking and you can see is there did he finish reading that letter and then call come here onismus or already the moment he sees a few things before he finished reading the letter he hugs him i would really wish to know what really happened we don't know what happened in that home but there is a very interesting story that um that is there which we cannot be 100% sure there's a tradition that there was a bishop of ephesus called onesimus i told you already that's the kind of name you don't normally give to people except slaves and so there is this tradition that he was a famous bishop of ephesus now was he the same onesimus ah uh, we don't know we cannot be sure but is that a possibility why not why not because the gospel can change everything the second thing that happens is when we start looking at other people differently they are no longer our slave we don't look at people and say what can i make use of them they are no longer onesimus for us he's useful for me so i am friendly with him because he will get something for me we look at people how are they useful to us no now we look at people and say how can i be a brother to this person every person every person that's what the gospel can do in our life we can even give exceptional forgiveness to people because we have received exceptional forgiveness remember what happened 20 years ago graham stains and his two wonderful sons beautiful baby, young boys were burnt and his widow gladys stains what did she say i forgive them exceptional grace given to others that's possible if we have been embraced in the gospel everything changes we no longer talk about our money it is god's money that's what he says to him by the way your account is my account so take it from there if he has if you have some loss take it from my account which is your account that kind of freedom that kind of generosity and i believe this man is a generous man not a calculating give a giver of tithes you will not find that kind of thinking in the new testament it's uncalculated generosity because when you look at the other person 
their need is yours because he's your brother and your sister. Finally, your, our priorities, our agenda changes because now we take our agenda not from the world, what the world tells us how we should live and what we should do, but from what we see in the gospel, what God is doing in the gospel. There is a beautiful passage. It's not an easy passage. I want you to look at that. 1 Corinthians 7, 29-31. 1 Corinthians 7, 29-31. Actually, this passage is about issues related to marriage. You know, somebody who is married, a widow, widower, if you are engaged. What about if you are married to an unbeliever? All those kind of issues. But in the middle of that, there is a passage. 1 Corinthians 7, 29-31. And I want to call it living as if not. Living as if not. Now, it's very interesting. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. Okay? From now on, those who are married, let's say people here, there are some of you who are married, should live as if they were not. <laughs> now, this is very easy for men. <laughs> Because uh, many men behave like this. Okay. But what is Paul saying? He's not saying, you know, live, uh, you know, forget about your responsibilities. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy live as if you are not happy. Those who buy something. I mean, you worked so hard and you're waiting to buy this. Finally, you bought it. Maybe a house or what, a nice car or whatever. As if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. And then he gives a reason why. For. What is the for? Because this world in its present form is passing away. In other words, all what he talked about, including marriage, including the things we have, including the fact whether we are weeping or we are happy. All this is in this present form. It is not forever. And therefore, if you have something nice, you worked very hard and you earned it, fine, enjoy it, hold on to it lightly, not tightly. You are married, have children, this, that, very good. Hold on to it lightly. Live as if you don't have it. How is that? Because that is the way you look at life from now on. Your agenda in life is not to just hold on to these things which are passing away. Every single one of those things. Whether it's marriage, whether it's the possessions we all work for, all these things are only for this period. Francis Chan, a interesting pastor, he was speaking in... Um, Convention of the Focus on the Family. It's a very big Christian organization. And you know what he said? The best thing you can do for your family is don't focus on your family. I mean, on the Focus on the Family Convention, he's the invited speaker. He says, the best thing you can do for your family is don't focus on the family. Now, what does that mean? Obviously, we, we are not talking about being irresponsible. But focus on God. Focus on the kingdom. Focus on the gospel. Other things that fall in their place accordingly will fall in their place. But the family is not the focus of our life. 
is God. The gospel. Our agenda in life is no longer family. Family is one of the things connected to that. Because the world says, you know, whoever dies with the greatest toys right now is Jeff Bezos. Whoever dies with the greatest toys and things is the winner. Not the gospel. It's not about that I die with more stuff. But have I fulfilled what God is expecting of me when he embraced me into the gospel? A German theologian, Helmut Thielike, said, Our checkbooks have more to do with heaven and hell than our hymn books. So it's not what we sing that shows what we really want. It's what we do with our life and our possessions and our money. That is a better indication of our love for God. I like to trouble people by saying, who was the wisest man in the Old Testament? Yeah, that's the answer I wanted. Um, and you know my name, no? Jacob, you know the meaning of my name? Okay, uh, tricky. Okay, that was a tricky question. You know, there's a story we all learned in Sunday school. God asked him, what do you want? And he sang the song, All I want is you, Lord, is you, Lord, all I want is you. That's what we sing, right? That's all right, you can sing it. But what you really want is not what you sing. What you really want is, as a camera follows you through every part of your life, we will soon be able to know what you really want. Solomon in that story says, yeah, I want you. I want wisdom. But his life showed he did not want wisdom also he wanted. <laughs> but you see, he wanted to be like any other king. So he collected women like some people collect stamps. Yeah, that's the Bible. By the way, your Bible has all that. He did not only dedicate the temple, he also dedicated temples to some horrible gods. That's also there in your Bible. Where child sacrifice took place. So Solomon didn't only want God and wisdom. He also wanted it. God was not the center of his life. That's why soon after him, the kingdom got divided. He was not the wisest man in the Bible or in the Old Testament. He was a smart guy. Maybe you want to call him a wise fool. Why? Because his agenda in life is not what you say. Your agenda in life is what we do with our stuff, what we do with our time, what we do with our life. Remember the first Protestant missionaries who came to India? Do you know who were the first Protestant missionaries who came to India? How many of you know? No, Thomas was not Protestant. Thomas came in the first century. Protestants came only in the 16th century. It's the first Protestant missionary who came to India. William Carey came later. That's right. There were two German young men. Now, just please do a Wikipedia search, just online search and read up. You, We need to know who are the first Protestant missionaries who came to India? Two German young men, Bartholomew Siegenborg and Henrik Lutschow. When did they come? 1706. 
they came to Tamil Nadu. It's an amazing story. William Carey came many decades later in 1793. Amazing people. But when they came, young men, that was it, their life. They gave their life so that the gospel would come into our country. And the first language in which the Bible was translated in India was Tamil. It's because of that. Not only that, their influence into education. Even today, there are people who say, the education in Tamil Nadu, influenced by these people. They gave their life. That Your life will show whether we have been embraced by the gospel. Another great, wonderful missionary, Henry Martin, very brilliant man from Cambridge. He came as a missionary to India and Iran. He had a burden for translating the Bible into Persian so that Muslims will be able to read the gospel. Very young age, 39 he died. He died. This is what he said. The spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. And the nearer we get to him, like we sang, nearer to thee, the more intensely missionary we must become, concerned for the others. Our agenda in life will change. So when we are kissed by the gospel, God wants to make us this beautiful prince and princess. What happens when we are embraced by the love? Number one, we begin to see God differently. And we begin to see ourselves differently. Secondly, we begin to treat other people very differently. They are our brothers, everyone. Loved by God. And so we now live not just for ourselves, but for others. Thirdly, that's our agenda in life is changed. That's what the gospel does for us. Thank you, Paul, for telling us the story. It's just a few photographs that we have of an amazing man called Philemon. What did he do? He refreshed the guts of God's people. The gospel must get into our guts, not just our heart. And we keep it in our heart. Nicely, well wrapped. I believe Jesus is in my heart. But the gospel must get into our guts so that then we also, like Philemon, God uses us to refresh other people so that when they interact with us, when we have the privilege of serving them, their guts are refreshed. They experience the love of God through us by our love and our care. May the Lord help each one of us to follow in the footsteps of this wonderful disciple, Philemon. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for this dear servant of yours, Philemon. Thank you that through this letter of Paul, we could visualize what the gospel can do in the life of one man and his family. What a difference it can make. And Lord, to see the possibility that you can make a difference through our lives, even when we allow you, through your spirit, to change us and to change everything. Change the way we live with each other. The change the way we look at each to our, look at ourselves and how we relate with others 
and especially how we set up the agenda of our life. Help us, Lord, that we will live with that love of Jesus working through our lives, like Philemon, and that many, many people around us will experience the goodness of God and the gospel, the good news. In your power, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.